Hello, and welcome to the Market Bull Podcast. Please note, topics and stocks discussed in this podcast are not financial or investment advice. Today's guest is Simon Lill, the non-executive chairman at Iris Metals. Simon has over 35 years experience in stockbroking, business development, and startups in the manufacturing and resource sectors. He is also the current non-executive chairman at DeGray Mining. Now, Iris Metals is an exploration mining company focused on lithium in South Dakota in the United States of America. On the show, Simon discussed the processes of complying with the Australian Stock Exchange and how the company is positioned for listing again. Simon elaborated on the projects Iris Metals is prioritising, how they are working with the local community and the North American lithium market. I hope you enjoy listening. So hello and welcome to the Market Bull Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kostrich, and joining me on the show today is Simon Lill, the non-executive chairman at Iris Metals. Uh, the name may be familiar. He's also involved in DeGray Mining uh, as the non-executive chairman. So welcome to the show, Simon. Uh, thanks, Ben. Uh, good to be here. And uh, I was going to say, your your list of experience is rather extended. Uh, we were just saying before, you know, 35 years, probably longer in ASX companies and, and stockbroking and just everything resources being a WA boy. But uh, before we dive into all that, um, Iris Metals, give us a bit of a, a story about about that company and, and how you've been progressing through developing that. Yes, well, as we discussed earlier, Iris is... Uh... It's at a an interesting stage in that we're going through re-compliance, uh, which is chapters one and two of the listing rules at the ASX. Um, we've only just really received uh, the full approvals from the ASX, uh, and you'll have seen there was an announcement last Friday about our plans. There was a notice of meeting that has come out as we require shareholder approval to change from the company that we were to the company that we're becoming. So it really got, got to change of commodity from gold exploration to lithium, change of jurisdiction from Australia to South Dakota, and to an extent change of scale as we uh, have acquired patented claims, which are akin in the Australian terms to a mining lease. So uh, they were the three issues that the ASX knocked us out on, if you like, and uh, have requested that we re-comply. So we need to be careful with what we move forward with because we will have a prospectus coming through next week as well. It should be lodged next week and be live in a couple of weeks. We can't conclude the re-compliance until we have the shareholder approval. That's your old meeting, I think, on the 5th of May. Um, and we would hope to have everything in place to get ourselves relisted uh, shortly thereafterwards. Even at that point, I won't say we're in the lap of the gods, that's incorrect, but we will need ASX approval for things like shareholder spread, uh, which is required, again, for recompliance purposes, escrow agreements, etc. So... Uh, there'll still be a delay, but that's roughly the timetable at the moment. And we should note that we're recording this today on Wednesday, the 5th of April, and it sounds like there's going to be a lot of activity over the coming weeks, really, and and as we said, a few announcements in the previous few weeks. 
Uh, but give us a bit of an insight into to what Iris Metals is and what the company is sort of focusing on now with its realignment of attention. Yes, look, we've been fortunate that um, we've come across these uh, this land package in South Dakota. Custer's sort of the nearest uh, major city. It's uh, proximal to Mount Rushmore as a site that people would be more familiar of in that region. Uh, in looking around as to what uh, we might do in the lithium space, so the lithium market's clearly in the last 18 months been very, very strong. It's had its recent downs, but overall been very significant in the ASX uh, perspective. I don't personally always like jumping onto the new bandwagon of lithium, et cetera, but there's clearly a lot more depth to this uh, change. And uh, we had the opportunity, we thought, okay, well, let's look at lithium. We did some drilling on our gold projects in the northeastern goldfields. There was a couple of interesting sniffs, nothing that was really holding together. So uh, we came across this lithium opportunity due to contacts that we have in South Dakota. Um, well, actually, I weren't in South Dakota, apologies, uh, in South America, but they knew these people in South Dakota. And our geologist, Chris Connell, went to South Dakota, met with the contacts that we'd been given, um, hit it off with these people and uh, was able to put this package of land together. Uh, now, Chris uh, has put the package of land together because of one contact in South Dakota in particular who has been able to introduce him to various owners of some of the claims. This contact had also uh, held on to a number of claims himself and we've bought claims from him as well. So it was the main uh, introduction into the region. We've now put together uh, quite a large package of land in the South Dakota region. So and that was well, a point we touched on before about the the ability to work really well with, with local communities and we touched on it before with this looming ESG compliance, but how impactful has Chris been in developing those sorts of relationships? And, and as we said, like you need to make sure those foundations are to begin with. Otherwise, you know, you can really have a bit of a struggle with this modern day mining exploration outlook. Oh, I think Chris has been absolutely critical and he knows I give him a lot of credit when we're presenting together, presenting the story together that, uh, I always put it that we're not a group of geologists from Subiaco or West Perth trying to run something in South Dakota. Chris has spent quite a lot of time over there with the locals, getting to know the locals. He's happy to be there. He and his partner are probably moving there once they get all the right visas in place for 12 to 18 months. Uh, from the S side of ESG, the social side, he's developed good relationships and He's the type of guy that, uh, you know, he's happy at the bar, having a few beers with the guys. He's happy helping them look after their babies, for example. He has done some babysitting for them. Uh, it's it's really interesting. It is so important. And, and in South Dakota, um, they're apparently quite a Christian area, quite a religious area. It's in the flyover states, as they call it. And you can interpret that as you will. And Chris uh, has fitted in very well with them all, it is absolutely critical. 
apart from that, he's also a good geologist and he knows what he's looking at. Uh, and to say, is he excited about the uh, project ahead of him? Yes, he, he would say he's never seen a better walk-up target in his time. And it's focused on lithium. And I mean, a point before I know Australians, we're almost some of the most successful miners and everyone likes to work with us. And I guess our culture really does embody that, you know, we get along with everyone really, really well, um, which I don't think comes as a surprise. But um, when we're talking about lithium, there's this real demand globally. Um, I mean, you probably your first time being in this sort of real emergence of, of lithium. I know you've been involved in, in gold, but from that point of view, I mean, how much urgency does that bring on for, especially in the US side of things, setting up these explorations and, and finding resources and just the whole lithium market in a nutshell? So what we have in the States is, which adds to the excitement, we have what they're called patented claims. So there are different structures in the States and I can say some of it's a little bit archaic compared to how we run our mining leases, exploration licenses, prospecting licenses over here, um, you actually physically have to peg the ground to get a BLM claim, uh, four pegs on each corner, one peg in the middle, and you've got to identify dates, et cetera, et cetera, on it. So to buy a patented claim, that has already got its approvals. It's an ownership. It's got, uh, it's, it's almost, it's not a mining lease, but it's effectively a mining lease, if I can put it like that. Um, and that's in in South Dakota, as far as we know, we are the only company uh, to have a hard rock mining license effectively in the States for lithium. We are certainly in a pegmatite area. If you wanted to go to Wikipedia and look up pegmatite crystals, spodumene crystals, it will take you to South Dakota and it will take you to one of the mines uh, which we don't own, actually. I think it takes you to the Etta mine, where they have mined uh, pegmatites. But it's the world's largest uh, pegmatite crystal. I think it's seven metres long, uh, maybe half a tonne of virtually pure spodumene. So the area is known for lithium, for spodumene pegmatites. Uh, and we are fortunate that we own and control a couple of mining leases effectively via patent claims in South Dakota. Yeah. And I mean, the, the stage of acquiring these, these landmarks and this area for exploration, what were some of the processes involved in, in getting that underway? Uh, sometimes you don't always want to talk about the trade secrets and, uh, sometimes it can be a bit convoluted as well. Uh, look at once we decided to get into the area, once we'd established the contacts that we've had, um, do you know, if you're going to go in, you go all in. It's something that uh, a mate of mine's taught me that uh, if you think you're onto something, you need to tie up the whole trend. Uh, we did that at DeGray Mining. You know, we bought half of our package from a Chinese group, uh, and that was really painful at the time. Uh, but it's been very valu invaluable for us. So we control a lot of ground in that DeGray trend up in the Pilbara. So same same thing there. Once we had our foot in there, we've uh, um, applied for quite a lot of BLMs. I can't give you the exact number. Just putting those claims together costs us quite a, quite a penny. Buying the patented claims, it's uh, it has cost us quite a lot of money to uh, 
put that package together. Uh, but we've been fortunate. We've had some good financial backers on the way through. We've been very supportive of what we are doing as well. Uh, probably in more recent times, one of the financial backers that's come on board is a group called uh, Waratah Electric. They've come in as a shareholder through their decarbonisation fund. I won't get that name 100% correct. But uh, they are quite well known in the North American market as been uh, in the uh, battery sector, the EV sector, as they call it. They've been quite significant in the lithium sector. And if you've been significant in the lithium sector over the last three years, you've made good money. So they know the sector. They know what they're doing. They've put in $1.5 million to Iris, and they put that in knowing that we were being suspended. It came in after we suspended, actually, and were comfortable with that. And they've also confirmed that they will put another $2 million in at the prospectus, uh, the IPO level, if you like, effectively we go through a new IPO process. So to have that sort of support behind us to start with, um, yeah, it was, was pretty exciting too. It's a good, in a way, acknowledgement that there is something there. And I mean, when you're looking at exploration, it's a good point that you mentioned, like you have to go all in and realistically you don't want to look back and, and regret that you didn't and it's more you know it might be a bit initially a bit annoying or a bit sort of costly and there's those implications but yeah if you look at it from a long-term perspective and I think the benefit especially being in lithium and and all the movements in America and even Canada and that whole region of the world is there's this massive push and you know we talked about it briefly beforehand but the uh, Inflation Reduction Act that America or Biden is rolling out, there's huge sums of money in regards to processing and going down this electric vehicle avenue. And I mean, it's it's not necessarily something that you may be involved in yet. I can imagine there's conversations about it because it's, it's, an, it's an awesome amount of money realistically, but it's also a, a sign of the future of where the industry is going. Um, and I mean, when you're looking at that sort of big picture, I mean, what does that sort of mean for you and, and the company looking at the way that lithium is setting itself up as really the only future for, for electric batteries. We uh, have a lot of people saying, oh, you must do this, you must do that straight away. I think at the moment we have the attitude that we're going to walk before we can run. And that means a few things. It means that we've got to go through this recompliance process, get ourselves relisted. That's one of the most important things for our shareholders that involves uh, uh, raising more capital on the way through as well. So that that is critical to us. Um, we need to understand better what we have. We've got some walk-up targets that we think we can create or convert, I should say, to resources with suitable drilling over, oh yeah, I might say six months, one geologist might say 12 months, but that sort of time frame. So let's see how much of that there is. We are an Australian company. Chris is doing a fantastic job in South Dakota, uh, but we don't have enough knowledge about the US, um, probably the US mining world, but also the US uh, opportunities through uh, funding. What we do know is that there are clearly a lot of funds available for critical minerals. And I can point to Iron Ear, I think are listed on the ASX. They had a funding package put together. They are a, a lithium clay project. I think they're in Nevada. Uh, I can point to Linus, which is a West Australian company. 
that's looking at a processing facility in the States that's been funded by uh, soft loans. If I don't get this 100% correct, please uh, don't shoot me, but uh, I know they've received funding. Um, trying to think, uh, uh, Piedmont Lithium have got funding for their projects. So there is clearly, and, and these aren't small amounts of funds, they're significant amounts of funds. We think once we can show what we have, you've got to put a drill hole into the thing first, but once we can show what we believe we have, that we have uh, hard rock mining licenses that were in the centre of the USA, uh, yes, there should be those monies available. There should be a lot of investment interest in us as well. I can say certainly uh, the South Dakota people that, Personally, I have not met them, but Chris tells me they are very, very patriotic. And uh, the States is renowned in general for its patriotism. So I think when they see that they can invest in their own project within their States, we expect that there'd be uh, investment coming through. Now, what does that mean to an Australian company um, from Perth? We've got to be conscious that we're becoming more of a US pro. Well, we are a US project. We are going to become more of a U.S. company and we need to uh, adjust ourselves as we move forward from a management point of view, from a board point of view, maybe even from a listed point of view. These things aren't going to happen overnight. They don't need to happen overnight. But I think that once we get ourselves relisted, that probably becomes the next stage of the planning over the next, call it six to 12 months. The idea of being nimble and, and flexible because I know especially in, in mining, there's a lot of resources required to pursue certain drills or, or certain areas and the idea that, you know, you're locked into a certain frame of mind if it's, you know, this area or if it's even the board or the management or, yeah, potentially the, the listing that you're on. Um, it, it's really important, especially these days with the ever-changing market, to be aware of you need to be able to be able to shift really quite quickly and effectively. But, I mean, when you're looking at... This, this whole process of, of relisting it and doing the IPO, there's probably a lot of factors going in there and, and the prospectus will come out in the, in the coming weeks. But I mean, once that's all underway, are there sorts of timelines and objectives and, and goals to get accomplished as soon as you're back up and running? Or is that, again, being a bit too preemptive because the priority now is to, again, get the prospectus done and, and show what's, what's going to be achieved? No, well, look, I mean, we... Uh... There is a level of work we've been able to do on the ground over in in um, Dakota, and uh, we've it, you know, we've got soil sample results. We've got a rig ready to go to start drilling. Uh, we do have walk up targets. You know, the, the pegmatitic expressions are at surface. The area has been mined. There's a series of mines there. It used to be mined mainly for feldspar and beryl, which are associated with uh, pegmatites. They did mine for pegmatites back in World War II, 41 to 45 or thereabouts. Um, is when the mining was done. We all know when World War II was, but uh, when the mining was done, and that was apparently for use as a lubricant during the war machine. So they have mined the area before. It, it, it does have a very strong mining culture, South Dakota. The Homestake Mine, I don't recall the name of it, but they've taken 40 million ounces out of it over a period of time that's just up the road from us and there is another operating gold mine in the region uh, as well so it's got a strong uh, mining culture as well 
and and really the way that America or even almost all economies are operating is they're all looking to have resources or their supply chain within their backyard. And I think, you know, Australia is pretty fortunate that we can work pretty happily with all different countries and everyone's happy to trade with us. But I know, especially in America, there's a lot of political tensions with, with other countries and jurisdictions that there's this real importance for them to get mining and exploration and embed their supply chain back into their front yard, um, like they're doing with building all these manufacturing facilities. So from a, a long-term outlook, that's got to give Iris Metals a bit of a nice tailwind in regards to knowing that there's going to be this probably support from not just the people, as you mentioned, but the the country, the government and, and the, the whole sort of <laughs> outlook are there. Well, it creates an interesting discussion in that uh, a lot of people say, oh, well, you should be able to do DSO direct shipping or, um, and yet what we think we probably can, we're not going to start where we need to look into, we need to understand what it looks like. We need to understand whether we need to treat the ore first. We need to understand what the weathering profile is like of the pigment types that are at surface versus what might be deeper. So it does require some, some drilling, but, uh, where do we take the DSO ore to and where are most of the facilities for the material is in China. Now the US aren't going to give us money to send product to China. So uh, we need, in one sense, some of those facilities that have been touted in the US to catch up. On the other side, the price of lithium uh, is such that it does sustain a reasonable amount of travel, transport costs, etc. And if we were to upgrade what we have, uh, what we believe we have, I should say, uh, it will sustain transport costs fairly comfortably. We're in a region, as I said, that it's uh, known for having the largest pegmatite crystals. You know, I think they're the largest mineral crystals, but I don't really want to be quoted on that because I could be wrong there. So, so yeah, there's strong crystalline, so it will lend itself to uh, dense separation, as they say, and it should upgrade quite easily, and you should be able to put together a very high-grade product. Um, but it's something we're looking into. It's not something we're sort of saying, right, we're going to do DSO within the next three months. We've got to walk before we can run. Yeah, and I mean, that's a that's a key to understand because I can imagine going through the process you're going through, you have to be very particular and, yeah, anything can be said, can be taken out of context, especially in the world we live in nowadays. And you want to be very articulate and spot on with, with, with what you're you're saying and, I mean, um, I'm familiar a little bit with the story, but you've built this this team or this management team and you said that the potential might be changes, but can you shed a bit of insight into the people that have been a part of this journey and building up Iris Metals? Yeah, so the two colleagues that uh, first approached me, um, uh, two gentlemen from Melbourne, Tao Panath and Peter Marks. Tao's a, quite a young uh, go-getter, a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, a young intelligent uh, uh, man. Uh, Peter Marks and I were the old war horses on the, on the board. They're very well connected within their community in Melbourne and that's certainly been a source of funding as we got ourselves through the IPO and beyond that actually. So I then introduced Chris Connell to the company. Uh, at the time, certainly in the West Australian sense or in the Australian sense, good geologists uh, were hard to find. 
Chris had some, uh, Chris has been working at uh, Soul Gold, which has the large Ecuadorian gold copper project, but he'd been unable to get across there as an exploration geologist during the COVID pandemic and was happy to come on board as a non-executive director initially uh, to give him something to do, to give him the opportunity to get into the northeastern gold fields, which was what we listed on. Uh, and through that uh, Ecuadorian connection into South America, back to South Dakota, is that really how we came across the, the lithium project, then helped by Chris uh, getting on a plane and going to South Dakota and uh, working with the, the Melbourne connections and uh, putting the whole package together as we, as we have discussed. So that's the team that remains on the board. Uh, I've got three executive directors. I'm the non-executive chairman. Uh, the board knows it needs to change and it will be adjusting <coughs> as we move forward and become more of an American uh, company. And we touched on it before was the, the similarities or potentially differences between operating in America and, and even Australia. Um, from your perspective, being worked in, in both or you know emerging now into America, what are you noticing a uh, similarities, differences, or in a way, you know, realistically, they're minerals in the ground, but both countries operate completely differently in regards to, to getting it out and even applying to get it. Look, certainly I think we're lucky to be, we're not lucky where we are, where we are. We're fortunate to be in uh, South Dakota, which has a strong mining culture, which we touched on earlier. Um, I don't know enough about the states as a whole. I know there are some states that can be really difficult and you don't want to be in them. Uh, other states aren't too bad. Um, I think in a, in a Western Australian context, there are a lot of rules and regulations, but you know if you work your way through, you will get to the end point. Um, and, you know, so, uh, we, we at De Grey are doing that. Um, maybe in the states it's quite as clear cut as that that uh, the environmental lobby is very strong over there less so we think in south dakota but there is some lobby there that we need to be aware of um obviously we have very good miners in western australia are they as good a miners is is it as comprehensive they're a very intelligent country and a very intelligent people they probably are i think you, you know in reality I don't know enough about the space to talk about it too knowledgeably, but mm. uh... and I mean that's sort of the naivety from from my point of view, being born and bred in Perth. Is I always picture America, but I don't quite think of the the mining industry. It's not the first one that that comes to mind. I think of so many other sorts of tech and biotech and and even just manufacturing and mining isn't necessarily the first sector that jumps out to to me. But I think now, especially with the the movements of of America trying to bring it all back home and, and this sort of push to start mining again, there's this again, urgency to, to get these projects up and about. And it sounds that, you know, it's fortunate um, and, and a good opportunity where, where RS Metals is positioned to leverage those, those opportunities and chances and, and the tailwind, which is inevitable in these lithium car batteries and electric vehicles and, and who knows what else you know, we haven't even touched on you know, the, the trade network of, you know, boats becoming electric and, and cars and planes and trucks. And there's a whole host of applications for, for lithium and, you know, the resources, the demand is well short of, of the current supply, well, other way around rather. Demand is so high and there's not much supply. So there's this real 
real encouragement to to get these operations up and about. And I think for for listeners that want to learn more about Iris Metals, is is there somewhere they can go or or contact and and just follow the the projects uh, and the company's um, operations? Look, obviously, you can go to our website. Um, that should be reasonably up to date at the moment. We had to wait until we uh, had the ASX approvals and released our ASX announcement, which went out last Friday. The prospectus is a source of information, of course. That should be very up to date. There's independent technical reports about the geology and the region, etc. within that. So that should be out sometime next week, assuming this goes out sooner than mm. next week. Yes, yeah. Of course. Um, <clears throat> and then there'll be ASX releases. And uh, we've got a lot of people that are quite interested in what's happening. We will try and move those releases through relatively quickly. So it's, it's a matter of watching the ASX platform. There's been a problem in, in Western Australia and Australia, and it's been a global issue about getting assays uh, released quickly and you know there was certainly a massive backlog for the assay labs in Australia it seems to have unwound a bit but I'm not going to guarantee yeah. between drilling and getting the assays uh, it's still going to be I would think a four to six week period in the states we're not sending the material back to Perth mm. we assayed in the states they've got all of those facilities over there of course but it could be from drilling to getting those results back, it could be four to six weeks. Okay. Well, it sounds like there's a lot going on and I can imagine you've got a lot more to, to accomplish in, in the next coming weeks and, and even this year for Iris Metals. So I thank you for taking the time to speak with me on the show today and yeah, look forward to, to hearing the updates on, on how the company's progressing. Thanks, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Marketable Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please make sure to like and subscribe. You can follow The Market Bull on our socials at Twitter and LinkedIn by searching The Market Bull. You can also subscribe to our newsletter on the website by visiting www.themarketbull.com.au.